You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. We explored what the Bible had to say about relationships, and this semester we're going to explore uh, the last book of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation. And I had this idea to put both of those two things together and call the whole year Revelationships, and do like one week on dating, one week on Armageddon, one week on marriage. It was too confusing. So we're going to separate them, and so we're just going to spend the uh, semester working through the, the last book of the Bible. And I'm really, I'm really excited about this. And uh, there's lots of reasons why I'm excited. But as I was studying this and kind of digging into this over the break, it became um, pretty apparent that, uh, well, let me just set it up this way. The, the book is written by this um, man named John. And he's writing to an audience, a specific group of churches, that as you're going to see, uh, at least remind me a whole lot of us. A whole lot of you, a whole lot uh, of me. Because he's writing to a group of churches that were dealing with three uh, unique issues. Let me just kind of lay these out really quick before I read it. Uh, The first issue that all of these original churches who received this book were dealing with, I'm going to call the first issue the Rick Grimes issue. If you're familiar with Rick Grimes, Rick Grimes is the lead character on the show The Walking Dead. And there's one uh, episode where the bad guy, at least the bad guy of this season, the governor, just beats the crap out of Rick Grimes. And so he's just on top of him, pounding and pounding, and uh, Rick Grimes' face is purple and swollen for like the next few episodes. He looks like a mutant. It's really gross. But um, I think he's right into a group of people that were literally getting beaten up uh, because of what they believed about Jesus. This is an era where, church, where Christians were being persecuted, were being killed. And if they weren't just Christians, there were Christians at the time that were um, worn thin and discouraged and just sort of Christianity was not working for them. So you have the Rick Grimes issue that he's speaking to. The second issue that this book is addressing is what I'll call the Stanley Hudson issue. If I don't know if you've seen the show called The Office, but um, Stanley Hudson is kind of the heavyset African-American guy on the show who, as far as I know, is really only excited about one thing, and that's Pretzel Day. But for the other 364 days of the year, he kind of just has that sleepy, kind of glazed, bored look over his face. And I think John is writing this book to a group of people that were excited about a lot of things, but when it came to Christianity... We're just kind of bored, going through the motions, kind of in this fog, uh, running out the clock, as Stanley Hudson says. So you've got the Rick Grimes people out there he's writing to. You've got the Stanley Hudson people he's writing to. And then the last kind of issue that he's addressing, I'm going to call the, uh, the Katy Perry issue, or maybe the Justin Bieber issue. Because both of them uh, were kind of raised in the church, were very vocal about their faith early on. And, and at some point in their career, uh, they just gave into the pressures and accommodated to the culture and kind of booted their faith and now live a life of um, fame and luxury and pleasure and, you know, kind of whatever else disconnected from their faith. And so 
the reason why I think this is so interesting is because Revelation is written to a group of people that are you know, filled with Stanley Hudson's and Rick Grimes's and Katy Perry's and Revelation comes to them and it changed them. It met their needs. It transformed them. It gave them, uh, it set their bored hearts on fire. It gave them endurance to endure suffering. It, it fortified them in the midst of uh, the cultural pressures. And if I think about it, if you think about it, we are a little group of people here at UT that probably are composed of very similar attributes. That there are um, Rick Grimes's out here tonight. Meaning there are those of you that uh, either because of your faith or not, you've just experienced a lot of hardship, suffering, where you really do feel beat up by life and discouraged and worn thin and you've come off of a hard break with the family and you're just kind of here and you're just like, Christianity is not working for me. It's really hard. And I know there's people in here that are kind of like the Stanley Hudsons that uh, maybe you were raised in church. Maybe you've heard all the uh, sermons. You know all the answers. Um, but if you're honest, you're just kind of bored. Like Christianity is not exciting you anymore. You're, you're much more excited about other things, but you're kind of in here and you're kind of going through the motions numb. And some of you are uh, in the Katy Perry camp. So Katy Perry's here, where maybe at one point you were excited about uh, Christianity, about the Lord, and maybe this was high school for you where you were really passionate, really into it, and now you've gotten to college and you've kind of um, given into the pressures of this place. And so you find yourself um, drinking more than you ever wanted to drink. Uh, you find yourself doing more sexually than you ever thought you would. Uh, you've thrown people under the bus to get ahead socially. You're sort of just downloading the values of the university wholesale, which is really just to work yourself to the bone and never rest, never stop. And really, if I'm honest, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in all three of those categories. It just... I just kind of, it just depends on the day, whichever one I'm in. I definitely can relate to being discouraged and worn thin. Uh, there are times where I really do feel like I'm in a spiritual fog and just kind of going through the motions. And there are times where I just want to give in to my flesh and just sort of throw in the towel. And the, the reason why I'm really kind of excited, I know this is kind of a long way to set this up, is the book of Revelation, it met and it transformed and it met uh, the needs of those early listeners. And so my hope is, my prayer is, my anticipation is, is that it will do the same thing for us. So with that sort of being a long-winded intro, let me actually read it, and then we'll take a quick look at it. This is Revelation chapter 1. We'll just read the first eight verses. It says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, 
the Almighty. This is God's word. Let me pray, and then we'll jump in and talk about it. Father, thank you for um, your word, and uh, we. All, this is always true of us that we need your help to understand it and to press it in and apply it to our lives, and we feel it, especially as we um, kind of move into a book which has uh, traditionally and historically been hard to understand and complicated, and so would you meet us, even right here on the front end of this semester, as we um, want to explore uh, the good things that you hold out for us in it, and so would you be so kind as to meet us, to open up our eyes and to unclog our ears, and we would pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't know if you're kind of aware of the trend, but beginning in sort of the mid-90s, there was this torrent of movies that began to come out with uh, a whole new way of doing the twist ending, you know, like the surprise ending of a movie. It's not like surprise endings were a, a new thing, but it was a new way in which they did them. So, for example, you think about movies like Sixth Sense and um, The Usual Suspects and The Village and uh, things like that, even more kind of modern movies like Shutter Island. The way that surprise endings used to go with movies is the surprise would happen, but the surprise was somewhat inherent to the rules of the plot itself. So, like, you knew there was a murderer, you thought it was this person the whole time, but uh, at the end it's like the butler, and you never saw it coming. And so that was a surprise, but it at least made sense within the framework of the movie. But with, like, the usual suspects and Sixth Sense and all these movies, the surprise ending, like, undid your entire framework of what even the movie was that you were watching. So uh, you're watching the movie, and you didn't realize it, but you're making all of these assumptions all along the way about how you're even understanding what's happening. But then you get to the end, and the big reveal at the end of the movie is, oh, all of your assumptions were wrong. So, like, Kaiser Soze is not, like, out there. He's, like, in here. Like right in front of you. Uh, you know, the whole time you think um, the guy's alive, but he's talking to a ghost. You know, it's like the whole thing just totally undoes all of your assumptions. And you begin to realize this was true about the movie the entire time. It was all right under your nose. You just didn't see it. And it took that big reveal at the end to sort of make sense of it. Then you go back and watch it a second time. It's like watching a whole different movie. The reason I bring this up is because the book of Revelation is the Bible's sort of big reveal. Not that it's necessarily a, a twist ending, but the whole, I mean, this is, that's the name of the book, Revelation. That the point of the book is to reveal something, which is namely this, that things are not the way that they seem. That there's more going on maybe right under your nose and you don't even realize it. And the point of the book is to kind of show you what that is. So kind of as we, as we ease into this uh, book tonight and kind of ease into the semester, um, I just want to make two simple points about the passage we just read. First, I want to show you that this book reveals, and then I want to show you what it reveals. Simple, easy. That it reveals, what it reveals. Make sense? Okay. First, let's look at um, that it reveals. And if you look at the very first verse, you see that word revelation, which is the Greek word. Let's get Greek for a second. The Greek word is apocalypsis, which is where we get the word apocalypse from. Now, when you and I hear that word, we think of, like, doomsday and, like, end of the world. And it just has bad, zombies are associated with it. Like, there's bad connotations with apocalypse. But what that word literally means, it's just, it simply means to reveal, to take the lid off of something, to pull the curtains back to show you that there's more kind of going on, 
that things are not as they seem. There's more going on than you realize. Now, if you look at verse 1, it says, God gave this revelation to Jesus to show you something, which means that this book is actually intended uh, to be understood. It's intended to reveal, not to conceal. In fact, if you look at verse 3, it says the whole point of the book is to bless you, that if you read it, if you interact with it, it's intended to bless you, meaning it's intended to be productive in your life. It's not intended to scare you. It's not intended to freak you out. It's not intended to confuse you. It's meant to be understood, and it's meant to bless you. Problem is, is that most people approach this book kind of like a team of mathematicians in that new movie that's out right now, The Imitation Game. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's that whole, um, it's that story of this team of mathematicians that are trying to crack the code from the, um, from the Nazis that are sending out all of their orders to all of their troops. And so there's this team of people trying to break the code. And a lot of people come to the book of Revelation and think, it's this uh, literary complex Rubik's Cube that I need a decoder ring in order to kind of decipher its hidden secret message. But if, if you noticed in verse 3, look at it. It says it's, it's written to Jesus' servants. Not to people with PhDs, not to like prophecy experts. It's written to like you and me, normal people. Somewhat normal. But okay, so I want you to see at least on the front end, and this may insult your intelligence, but I think it's important enough to say that the point of the book is to be understood. But I also want you to see that this book is incredibly relevant to your life right now. Right now. If you noticed, um, look at how verse 1 finishes. God wants to show you everything that must soon take place. And I think the word soon means, like, soon. It doesn't mean soon in, like, weird Bible language that really means 5,000 years from now. It means, like, soon, like, right now. Which means this. is that when this book was given to its original audience, it's talking about stuff that would have been relevant to them. Not stuff that's taking place... 4,000 years after the fact that they have come and gone. And, and, and here's why this is so important and so relevant is because a lot of well-intended Christians come to this book and sort of extract crazy speculations about what's going to happen in the future with very precise detail about what's going to go down at the end of time. So that, you know, in the year 2097, there's going to be this uh, economic leader that's going to rise up and unite all of the nations together. And we're going to have microchips with barcodes implanted under our skin and our foreheads. And uh, think, about, think about this, though. If this book is intended to bless and encourage the Christians that are receiving this, which is probably in the year 96 AD, how would a complicated timeline of what's going to happen 4,000 years after they've come and gone, how would that be helpful for them? How would it be encouraging for them to bless them? I I don't think it would be. So here's basically um, my thesis on the front end, is that the book of Revelation is intended to be understood. It's intended to communicate something, which is what? Uh, That things are not as they seem. It's intended to communicate something about your present life right now. Namely, things are not as they seem. Now, before we kind of jump into the second point, what it's actually revealing, let me at least sort of um, say this. I know if you've, if you've ever tried to read this book on your own or ever just kind of flipped around, it's really weird. It's crazy, bizarro, and just a, it's, it's a hard-to-read book. And I think that the reason why it's so foreign to us is because 
the book of Revelation is written in a way that's unique from every other book of the Bible. It doesn't come to you as stories. It doesn't come to you as sort of theological data. It comes to you as a collage of pictures, of images, just this barrage of um, vivid and graphic and even grotesque images at times. And so, and so if, you're, um, if you're kind of artsy, uh, I think you're going to like this book. My engineers out there, we're going to struggle uh, through, this, through this book this semester. But if, but if you're um, more creative in your thinking, uh, this book comes to you as pictures. If you think about it, the book is kind of like an iPhoto slideshow. Or really just sort of like a scrolling Instagram feed that is kind of acid trippy as well. And, um, but, but if you think about it... Um, why images, though? Why are that's such a uh, bizarre medium to communicate something? Why? Why would the Bible choose to use pictures, images? Well, uh, think of it this way. This reminded me as I was thinking about this. It reminded me of a story when I was in high school. Uh, I went to go see the movie The Blair Witch Project. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this. It's so old now that I don't know if y'all even. Uh, uh, heard of this movie, but um, the Blair Witch Project, when it first came out, it was, uh, no one knew anything about it, and my sister had told me about it because she had heard that it was playing at this sort of small local indie theater, and so no one had, you know, it was not sort of big publicity, and the way that it was marketed, it was, it was marketed as a documentary, and so you'd go to this, uh, me and my friend went to this small little indie theater, and bought tickets thinking we were going to go see a real documentary. And if you go in, if you see it, the way that it begins, I mean, the whole thing is filmed on little camcorders. So it was shot from like a documentary film crew about their story of them researching this legend of this Blair Witch in these woods. And so they go into the woods, and I'm not going to tell you what happens with the movie, but let's just say that things get bad for them. And it's not real although we thought it was real at the time. And it gets creepier and creepier, and the whole movie starts marching towards this climactic scene where they go into this abandoned log cabin in the woods, and they start going down into the basement. And uh, I, I won't, the, the last two seconds of the movie are, is just this image. I won't tell you what the image is, but when I saw it, and as soon as those two, minutes, those two seconds are over, and it oh, you know, stops, and it goes to the credits... That image, it just ruined me. I mean, it, it just undid me. It haunted me. It was like it was burned into my brain. I think I was 17 or 18 at the time, and I came home, and I refused to go up to my bedroom and sleep in my room that night. I slept on the couch in the living room next to my parents with the lights on. I was so terrified and spooked out. It was not a real movie, but if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. It's like, it's, it's a... I don't know if it would even be enjoyable now, but at the time, because I thought it was real, it was amazing. But the image, the reason I'm bringing this up is because that image, images have power. Images have the power to haunt you. If you think about other images that you interact with, images have crazy power. Think about, I mean, I don't know if um, memes are all that sort of popular anymore, but you remember when they used to be fairly regularly blowing up Facebook or whatever. Um, you'd see a meme and it would either provoke you or anger you or humor you. Um, you, you see uh, motivational posters. Those can encourage you. Or if it's a demotivational poster that can, you know, humor you. Um, you think about political propaganda, images that were used back in the day. It was an extremely powerful way of mobilizing and inspiring people. Uh, think about just the imagery, the images of pornography. Unbelievably powerful. has the power to uh, entice you, engage you. 
um, which just came off of Christmas. Think about the images of your Christmas cards that you got that can make you smile, warm your heart. And so my point is that images are unbelievably powerful. And, and revelation comes to you not as just data about God, but images. Because images can kind of get into your heart and activate stuff in you that you didn't know needed to be activated. One, um, one thinker said this, that revelation is theology for visual learners. And I think that's really cool. So that's the, that's the first thing that we're going to look at. That it reveals. Simply, this obvious observation, but it needs to be said. The book is written to reveal something, to communicate something, so that you understand it, so that it leaves an impression on you. But let's look at um, the next kind of obvious question. What is it that it reveals? What is it that this book is trying to reveal? Look at verse 1 again. Uh, it reads this. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his, to his servants the things that must soon take place. It's the revelation of Jesus. That's not the title of the book. That's the topic of the book. The whole point of the book is to give you a vivid and more clear HD IMAX experience of who Jesus is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Simple as that. Um, uh, look at how it talks about Jesus. Look at verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. This is talking about God the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. We'll talk about what seven means, but this is basically just talking about the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. And so now listen to how just he's described right on the front end of this thing. The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, uh, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, this book is intended to change the way that you see reality because of how it changes the way that you see Jesus. Simple as that. The point of the book is intended for you to change the way that you see reality because of how you see Jesus. My um, two-year-old, four-year-old now, <laughs> four-year-old daughter, um, Zoe Kate, has gotten really into Tangled, you know, the, the movie Tangled. And what I love about these Disney movies is that they always have these big thematic anthem songs in them, you know, Frozen, Let It Go, and Tangled is the... Um, uh, the light. Oh my gosh, why am I blanking on the I see the light. At last I see the light. Whatever. The, the one where you see the light. And um, <laughs> it's you know, sort of this big, sort of moving, big uh, song in, in, the, in the movie. And I wanted to just read you um, uh, a, a little, so, some of the lyrics from I See the Light. Because um, we're going to get Disney in here for just a minute. But, but I think that they nail it as far as what Revelation is trying to do. So here's, here, here are the lyrics. You never knew Rapunzel and the apocalypse had so much in common. But here it is. It says, all those days watching from the windows, all those years outside looking in. I'm so tempted to start singing right now. All that time, all that time never even knowing just how blind I've been. Now I'm here blinking in the starlight. Now I'm here, suddenly I see. Standing here, it's all so clear I'm where I'm meant to be. And then here's the, here's the, here's the big chorus. If you've heard the song, you know you're, you're singing it right now. And at last I see the light, and it's like the fog has lifted. And at last I see the light, and it's like the sky is new. <laughs> 
I'm not going to sing. And it's warm and real and bright, and the world has somehow shifted. And then here's the line I want to highlight. All at once, everything looks different now that I see you. Everything looks different now that I see you. And that is the point of Revelation. For you to get a clear and a vivid glimpse of who Jesus is so that you can say with Rapunzel, everything looks different now that I see you. I once was blind, but now I see you and therefore I see everything else differently. Meaning, the way that you understand your life becomes organized and oriented and understood in light of who Jesus is. Your failures and your successes become changed in light of how you see Jesus. The way that you think about sex, the way you think about money, the way you think about rest changes in light of how you see Jesus. The way that you think about your addictions and your family issues, that changes in light of how you see him. Everything looks different now that I see you. That's the point of this book. Look, I I know many of you, and I know some of your stories better than others, but I can say across the board that my guess is many of you are hurting, or at least experiencing some level of pain, suffering, where either you really did come off of a break that was unbelievably toxic with your family, or you've experienced wounds from friends or family so that it really does feel like there's scar tissue on your soul now, or you've come into the semester and you're still so unbelievably lonely that you thought you'd have friends by now and you don't. And the Bible could come to you and tell you, like it does in other places, that God's in control of everything, that he really does use your suffering to work to your advantage, that one day suffering will end, Uh, The Bible could tell you that, again, with this last book of the Bible, but I think God knows that sometimes just hearing that kind of bounces off of you like, you know, a rubber bullet. And so what Revelation does is it doesn't just tell you what is true, it shows you. And so you get this picture of Jesus on the throne holding like an iron rod, ruling the universe, and every molecule is doing his bidding. And so down here, it looks like and it feels like it's chaotic and it's meaningless and it's crazy and it looks like life is out of control, but Revelation shows you things are not as they seem. Jesus is on the throne ruling, and it changes the way that you think about your suffering. Some of you are, um, rather than just sort of being buried by pain, you're buried by your own guilt, where you've done things that you feel so ashamed of. Uh, You're doing things that you would be horribly terrified of of anybody finding out about. You've come back to school this semester and you've already made decisions that uh, you feel bad about. And that guilt can just feel like acid kind of eating away at your soul. And so rather than just revelation telling you God forgives you, what it does is it shows you. It gives you an image. It gives you an image of Jesus as the slain lamb covered in blood so that you can see my sin, my guilt, my shame is put on him, and he is slain. He is crushed under the weight of it. It's over. It's off of me. And it gives you a picture of you, that it gives you a picture of you being draped in these gleaming white robes of his righteousness. And so it seems like your guilt and your shame and your regrets are what are most true about you. But Revelation gives you an image, it gives you a picture to say things are not as they seem. There is a slain and risen Savior, and he is yours. And everything now looks different in light of you seeing him. And so look, as as we kind of wrap up here, I want to just speak to two different groups of y'all tonight. I want to speak to those of you tonight that um, maybe don't identify yourselves as Christians, or you don't quite know what you think about yourself. 
spiritually. And then I want to speak to those of you that do identify yourselves as Christians. So first let me speak to those that either aren't Christians or you don't know what you think about all of this stuff. Um, Let me say this. I, I really want to invite you to come back and explore this book with us every single week. And here's why. It's because this book honestly and takes seriously your questions that you have. Some of you have questions like, if God exists, why is there pain in the world? Uh, some of you have the question, if God is good and loving, why is, why is there a hell? Or why does God seem like so obsessed with like judgment? This book takes up those questions and addresses them with uh, real uh, intentionality. But it also, it doesn't just address your questions. It, it begins to make sense of your experience, I think. Because you can go through this life just sort of operating off of your instincts and doing whatever you want to do. And if you're honest, deep down you think there's, there has to be more than this. Just having fun in college and finding someone to settle down with and landing a career and making money, having kids. Like, there's got to be more to life than that. And Revelation tells you and shows you there is. Things are not as they seem. So now let me speak to the Christians here for just a minute. Um, I want to invite you all to do the same thing. To come back and explore this book with us week in and week out. Because if you're anything like me, you do believe that the gospel is true. You want more of God. You, you, know, you want to want more of him. But it feels so often that you're just kind of going through life on autopilot. You know what I mean? Where you're just kind of disenchanted. Just kind of going through the rhythm and, and your heart isn't activated. This book comes to you and me and, and it just is like a screaming constant wake-up call. To say, hey, you don't want to sleep through this awesome thing that is going on. And it doesn't do it in this sort of guilt-trippy way to like slap you and say... Get it together. Why can't you get it together? It, it comes to you kind of like this alarm clock that just it doesn't want you to sleep through the party. And so, so I'll end with this. Um, this whole thing just made me think about, um, as I was preparing this, uh, a story that happened this past October. My family went down to Charlotte for a wedding. And uh, some of you know that about six, seven years ago, we used to live in Charlotte. So we went back and visited our old church. And our old church was is not a traditional sort of Presbyterian church. It's a, a multi-ethnic, um, funky, urban um, church. Our, our pastor was this you know, kind of big personality, charismatic African-American guy. And the, the crowd was much more interactive and engaging than sort of the typical kind of Presbyterian uh, you know, like group. And so um, we went, and on the ride to church, my two year old son fell asleep. And so I'm holding him against my chest, and we kind of go into the, the building, and they're playing the first song. We kind of came in the middle of the first song, and there's like bass and drums, there's a kind of a choir on stage. It's like loud, and the, the, the beat is thumping. And uh, I'm, I'm shocked that my child is sleeping through this, so I kind of sit down, and he's passed out, and everyone's kind of singing, and Traditionally in this church, when the song is over, everyone you know, starts clapping and sort of cheering. And as soon as everyone starts clapping, my son, who's passed out, jerks awake and immediately just like instinctually starts clapping. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. And um, the reason I bring that up is because uh, you, can, you can sleepwalk your way through college. I mean, you can go to class and go to RUF and do your homework and go to the parties and do the intramural thing, and uh, you might just be sleeping through something really amazing that's happening around you. You don't even know it. 
And what Revelation is doing, it's coming to you and it's saying, wake up. Begin to participate and draw into this amazing, wonderful thing that's happening right in front, right under your nose. You don't even know it's happening. It wants you to wake up and to begin to participate, just like my son, rouse from your sleep and to begin joining in to this awesome thing that's already happening. Because here's the, here's the case, and here's what we're going to see as this book kind of unfolds. Is that Jesus is right now, right in our midst, ushering in a revolution. A revolution of grace and of peace and of joy and of forgiveness. And you don't want to sleep through the revolution. So my invitation for you tonight really is to wake up. Is to fix your eyes on him and to see everything different in light of who he is. That's your invitation. Let me pray. Father, would it be true that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that would be sensitive to your presence. For if you, are, if, if you do exist, and if this is true, if Christianity is true, that means that you are much more engaged in this world and in our lives than we think you are. And it is so easy for us to just block you out, to just functionally go through our lives like you're not there. So would you give us eyes to see you, to have everything be changed and reordered in light of who you are? And would that really turn everything upside down about us and about our lives? Would you inflame our hearts? Would you shake us from our boredom? Would you give us real strength to endure the hardships that life throws at us? Father, wherever we are tonight, believing, not believing, worn out, excited, wherever, would you meet us and would you change us? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.